You're listening to the Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Brought to you by Abercrombie and Kent, pioneering experiential luxury travel since 1962. Buckle up and take off every fortnight to spectacular destinations as we share the inside word on all things travel. Whether you're into luxury travel or tripping on a budget, whether it's river cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an awesome travel experience. Tune in with Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And be sure to like and share this episode so everyone can get a taste of all things travel and now on to the show with your host from Christchurch New Zealand Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch hello there and thank you so much for joining us on a very brand new edition of Kiwi Tripsters I'm Chris Lynch and I'm Mike Yardley great to be with you as autumn dawns in New Zealand oh don't say that but if you're dreaming of warmer climates perhaps as the year unfolds Mike you've been raving about Aitatahi um how close is this to Rarotonga? Yes, well, if you are heading to Raro, it's about a 45-minute flight away from Rarotonga, and most people consider the spectacle of the flight on final approach to Aitutaki as one of the highlights of their entire holiday because it is truly supreme, the views. Even the most um, worked-up hype can't really do justice to the spectacle because it's like this triangular reef emerges out of the ocean as you start to descend and the reef is uh, cradling the atoll of Aitutaki. They've got all these little miniature islands or motus dotted around the main island, every shade of blue water imaginable. So it is one flight you really want to score a window seat for. And if you want to push the boat out, where's the best place to stay? Yeah, if you are, you know, winning lotto um, anytime <laughs> soon. or so just, are you saying you've won lotto? No, 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 not necessarily. But if you want to have a big splurge, I might have had one wee splurge. splurge. Yeah. <laughs> we all need to reward ourselves with a good old splurge from time to time. <laughs> I reckon the ultimate escape pad is Pacific Resort. This place is just a gobstopper. It is so gorgeous, very boutique and secluded. And despite that, you don't actually feel removed from real raw Aitutaki. So let me paint a picture. If your idea of South Pacific paradise is absolute beachfront bungalows just six steps away from a wake-up swim in that lagoon, and all the frills on offer, mm. this is the place for you, Pacific Resort. It is pricey, but, you know, for an unforgettable experience, it is hard to beat. I'm guessing the population's quite small. It's probably made up of, what, hotel and resort staff? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think there's only 2,000 permanent residents, and they find Rarotonga very busy when they go over <laughs> yeah. to the main island. Yeah. Um, and I love that relativity of life, you know, because uh, they enjoy it. The, the locals there, they love the fact that it's so chilled, so carefree, and a day does feel so much longer uh, on Aitutaki, as if time beats on slow-mo. But that lagoon, uh, that lustrous lagoon with all of those colours of green and blue, that really is what just keeps seducing you for another dabble. It is so clear, so clean, uh, no algae in the lagoon. And, um, you know, compare that to the main lagoon around Rarotonga. Beautiful as Raro is, it has been partially compromised by algae. 
The island itself is pretty flat, isn't it? Yeah. Um, even though the whole atoll has actually been thrust up from the seabed, uh, 4,000 metres, um, it is quite flat. Um, I was feeling rather virtuous and I was itching for a bit of a, a workout. And you can actually walk up a little chain of hills which stretches between the airport and the main village of Aratanga. So it's basically just like a, a walk across the ridgeline of these hills. Uh, the highest peak is Maunga Pu, and the view is fabulous, particularly if you missed out on that window seat on the plane coming into land at Aitutaki. You'll get the same sort of sensation uh, with all of those incredible colours in the lagoon. Um, and that, uh, that peak, by the way, the walk up to Maunga Pu, is really good for sunrise too. What I know about this place, this is the ultimate honeymoon destination, isn't it? Yeah, it is. In fact, it's a wedding destination too. Yes, absolutely, yep. In fact, all of the Cook Islands, very big into the whole wedding business. Um, the essence of Aitutaku is definitely that lagoon and all of the little motus or, or miniature islands. One Foot Island is where a lot of people will go uh, on honeymoon or to actually tie the knot. One Foot Island is the most famous. But I actually think Honeymoon Island is just as good because the coral um, and the fish life is just insane, particularly just off Honeymoon Island. And the locals reckon it's one of the richest snorkeling realms in the Pacific. So untouched and it's, yeah, really special. What about the old fishing? Did you get time to do fishing? Because it's a good fishing spot, isn't it? Well, actually, yeah, the chap who took me out. out, that is. Yeah, yeah. You normally go beyond the lagoon into the ocean. Yeah. Um, but the chap who took me out to Honeymoon Island, which is still within the lagoon, mm. um, he was saying, look, you've got to come back here, Mike, and have a big day out fishing with me. Um, and I spoke to a number of Kiwis at my hotel who reckon that deep sea fishing beyond the lagoon has to be seen to be believed. They were bringing in, uh, bringing in wahoo, mahi, mahi, tuna, marlin, um, and they actually would bring it back to Pacific Resort and the hotel kitchen would happily put it to good use and, you know, chop it up and cook it for them. Um, spear fishing is also very popular in Aitutaki. You can actually fish within the lagoon because the lagoon is so healthy. Once again, it's not advised to actually eat anything from the lagoon at Rarotonga. Uh, but the lagoon fish at Aitutaki, they're good to go, good to eat. It's good to know. Yeah. So last episode, we looked at safaris in uh, Kruger. In mm. fact, that was about two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yes. But what about wild Kalahari? Yes, in the region they call the Northern Cape of South Africa, uh, this is where the Kalahari Desert is, and it butts up against Botswana. So they basically share this desert. It is brilliantly remote, very unpeopled. Man, I'll tell you what, the temperatures in high summer – you don't want to go there. They can hit 50 Ooh. day after day in high summer. So, you know, we're talking because it's Southern Hemisphere, uh, November, December, January, February. It's a formidable sort of place. The topography is amazingly diverse. Um, and once again, you sort of get an introduction of that as you fly into the Kalahari. You've got the craggy splendor of the Karanaberg Mountains. You've got blood red desert. Then you've got lush valley forests in these sweeping savanna grasslands. It is an incredible setting. And speaking of incredible settings, Joe, I was just looking at some of the places you can stay, and it is home to South Africa's largest private game reserve. Yes, Tualu. Tualu Game Reserve. Um, I spent a couple of nights there 
very, very lucky to have got there. And this place was actually formed from 48 farms. So it's the size of a small nation. And I actually worked out you could fit four Belgiums into Tualu Private Game Reserve. It is that big. Mm. And to drive from one end of it to the other would take you about five hours. So it's owned by the Oppenheimers, a very wealthy mining family. And they have invested megabucks into basically paying back South Africa, conserving and boosting Africa's endangered species at Tualu. Um, There is no hunting allowed on their reserve, no big game hunting. So it is all about conservation. Good. I don't think I could start a place that was, you know, pro-gaming or pro-hunting. It's just not in my nature. But anyway, uh, the safari drives, they're more focused by the looks of things on encountering single species, right? Yeah. So like when we were talking about Kruger, we were talking about, you know, the big five, how people go there for the big five. When Mm. you go to Twala, you generally will find that, yes, when you go out on a safari drive, Um, your ranger will have a chat to you and you'll focus on one particular creature and you just get a greater appreciation and an insight into into their life and the way they behave. Mm. So, for example, the black-maned Kalahari lions, they are the most beautiful of lions and I think it's because their manes are not the colour we normally see with with lions. It's a very black-haired mane around these lions um, so regal and stately, and they just strut with a sense of self-importance. So I loved tracking a whole lot of those one night. Um, although if um, you're thinking of the Lion King here and thinking, can you feel the love tonight? Well, we actually encountered rather up close a couple of um, uh, Kalahari lions, and um, it, it was anything but gentle and romantic in terms of the mating procedure. It was all rather oh, violent. Yes, I can imagine. Oh, no. Yes, so okay. no Elton John uh, soundtracking proceedings there. Um, but throughout my dawn and twilight safari drives, I became acquainted with just the sheer array of antelope and gazelle. Um, you know, you've got oryx and sable and springbok and steenbuck and redbuck and impala and eland. It's just incredible. And then kudu. Kudu are the most beautiful of uh, animals. Their male horns are really sculptural. They're sort of like statement natural art. So, yeah, at Tualiu, you get a greater appreciation for the the diversity, mm. and just, you know, some of the nuances of their wildlife. What about Africa's wild dogs, the painted wolves, aren't they? Any good? Yeah, this, I would have to say, was my highlight at Tualu to intimately encounter a pack of these uh, wild dogs. Uh, but, yeah, also known as the painted wolf. Were you in a ca- What, were you in a cage or something? Uh, or? Open, yeah, sort of an open deck jeep. Um, and there's only 450 of these dogs left in South Africa, and we watched a pack of these dogs on the hunt for food. It was so exhilarating. And first of all, we met them um, as twilight approached. And um, they were just sort of um, coming um, to their senses after a bit of an afternoon siesta. They um, do this big pre-hunt ritual where they will kiss each other. Really? And then they will have like a mess singing um, <laughs> recital. Wow. And it's all about psyching each other up for the hunt. And then they fanned out across the terrain as the sun started to dip. And they were scanning the horizon of Tualu Game Reserve like an Mm. army battalion, you know, like a well-drilled 
impatient battalion looking for some prey. Um, and then they're they an were just—they're an interesting-looking creature, aren't they? They are. They do look wolf-like. Really big ears, and their obviously their hearing is phenomenal. Mm. Um, magnificent noses. So you'll notice when they are hunting in a pack, they'll fan out and then they'll all sort of tilt their noses in a certain direction and will be based on which way the wind is blowing and it's so that they can get a smell of what animals could be in the area and they'll be determining that based on, you know, um, manure that's been dropped by animals Um, or if, you know, like say some antelopes are sort of starting to walk close to where they are, they'll get a whiff of them before they see them. But um, it is quite a transfixing spectacle to watch them hunt, and they certainly take no prisoners (laughs) once they've got their prey. Yes, I'm not sure it's worth watching um, how they do it, but I'd rather just have a nice lovely meal. It's pretty lurid. It is. Right, I want to talk about some of the conservation efforts, particularly about the rhino. Yes, the rhino. Twilo is home to the world's largest population of black rhino, which I didn't know this before I went to Twilo. The black rhino is even more endangered than the white rhino. So we tracked a black rhino and her calf, which was just sensational. It's another Tualu triumph. They are um, so endangered and they are, and their population is growing at Tualu. Uh, the black-maned Kalahari lions, as I mentioned, a fabulous sight. And the other thing which they're very proud of at Tualu, they're meerkats. They've got fabulous colonies of meerkats, absolutely booming in number in Tualu. And those meerkats will happily allow you to get right up close to them. You know, I'm talking mm. 10 centimetres wow. away from them. Sometimes they will run across your arms um, as they dig for critters. And they are very prodigious diggers. They will chomp through the average meerkat uh, somewhere in the vicinity of um, a kilogram of insects in a day. A kilogram? Yeah. That's a lot of critters. It's a lot of bugs. <laughs> When's the best time to go? Well, now is good. Uh, they have a rainy season and ferocious heat, which I mentioned. Um, but basically, yeah, from mid-March through to October is good. Try and avoid June, July when it does get cold. Okay. Now, coming up, we are going to take a walk in the footsteps of Van Gogh. And I think we're also going to head to the United States. Whereabouts, Chris? San Diego. That's where we're going. Absolutely. We also have an amazing trip for two to South Australia to give away. We will give you all the details shortly. That's Stay a good idea. We're giving a trip away. We are, very soon. But we'll... Can I go? No, but we'll give a wee teaser soon. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. An Abercrombie and Kent luxury safari is quite simply the greatest outdoor adventure holiday you will ever have. Choose your own adventure in South Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Kenya and many other countries on a continent no one knows like Abercrombie and Kent. The adventure starts here. AbercrombieKent.co.nz Let's head to France on the trial of Van Gogh's legacy and Arles. Would Arles be such a draw card if Van Gogh hadn't set up his 
well, a base really there. <laughs> Absolutely. It certainly would not be crawling with so many post-impressionist junkies, Chris, because um, it, is a, it is a stunning town, but um, Van Gogh Absolutely, is the cherry on top. I would actually go there, first of all, because they've got incredible Roman architecture. Their amphitheatre, 24,000-seater Roman amphitheatre, 2,000 years old. It was only restored recently, um, and that has been um, uh, another big draw to Arles in recent years. They actually launched an amnesty on all of the stone blocks from the amphitheatre that had been pillaged over the centuries by people building their townhouses and churches in Arles, so a lot of the original stone blocks were reinserted back into the arena as part of the restoration. Uh, so, yeah, ancient Rome alongside uh, Van Gogh um, is also a big draw. Did the Roman ruins arouse much interest from Van Gogh? It doesn't appear so because even though he churned out ne- nearly 200 paintings while he was living in Arles, the only loose reference I could see to the town's Roman background uh, in his painting is one called Arena at Al, which focused on the humongous crowd watching the bullfight. Um, incidentally, the bullfights are still staged in Al. So unlike um, the Spanish, uh, the French who still do the bullfights mm-hmm. don't actually fight the bulls to death. So they they're a little bit more generous. Um, well, a little more progressive, perhaps? Slightly more progressive, yes. <laughs> um, is this studio still standing? Well, I reckon this is one of the great tragedies of war. No, it's not. Mm. Um, sadly, the building where he lived and worked was destroyed, actually, by the Allies in World War II when they were bombing the bridges of the Rhone River uh, to stop the, the advance of the Germans. Uh, and that was cited, um, his studio was cited just by the old city gates and this is the studio where he would invite artist friends to uh, stay w- and work with him in Arles. So all sorts of luminaries went there, like Paul Gauguin, uh, who he famous, uh, famously fought with shortly before he lobbed off his ear and gave it to a prostitute. <laughs> As you do. As you do. As you do. Can I just say, some of the cities that we've been looking at throughout um, our series, Yeah. They are all so different in terms of architect, and this yeah. place looks absolutely stunning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, particularly if you love your your Roman architecture. I mean, mm. that amphitheater is just still such a masterpiece, mm. isn't it? Yeah, and, and the wee homes that surround yeah. it are just beautiful. Yeah. Um, I want to get to food. Yeah. What about the the cafe? There's a famous cafe there, isn't there? Yeah, Cafe Van Gogh, and this is a must. They do have great food there, but this cafe is like a painting coming to life. Uh, because this is the cafe that he immortalised in his painting Cafe Terrace at Night, which is one of his most famous paintings, the first painting that featured Van Gogh's iconic star-filled sky. A lot of people will associate you know, lots of stars with a Van Gogh painting. Uh, so you can go to that cafe, which is in the, in the heart of the old town, uh, in the Forum, and uh, a Café Olé at uh, Café Van Gogh will leave you feeling mugged. It is an <laughs> absolutely shameless tourist trap. And even the 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 hospital yes. 
mean, the grounds around it look phenomenal, by the way. Yeah. And once again, Van Gogh's uh, footprint is all over this. This was actually my highlight to go to the old Arles Hospital. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, this is where he was admitted after taking that razor to his ear, which he gave to the prostitute. And the building appears today pretty much as it did in the 1880s with its big yellow and cream stripes and that blazing courtyard, uh, you know, filled with flowers. Um, And it's that scene which, of course, inspired one of Van Gogh's greatest masterpieces. I can't stop looking at some of the images. It's just breathtaking. Yeah. I'm very jealous of you, actually. This is an amazing-looking place. Hey, he painted a portrait of his doctor. Yeah, I reckon this is such a great yarn. And he gifted his doctor, Felix Ray, a self-portrait to show his appreciation for the way that he was cared for after he had lobbed off his ear and given it to the prostitute. But um, the good doctor, Felix Ray, wasn't actually particularly fussed by this painting that Van Gogh had done for him. So he actually used it to prop up his chicken coop in Arles. Now today, that portrait of Van Gogh's doctor graces the wall of Moscow's Pushkin Museum and its value 80 million New Zealand dollars. I bet the Ray family estate would have liked it. (laughs) And propping up something. Yeah. I'm guessing that a lot of Van Gogh's prints are in all the souvenir shops. Yeah, uh, everywhere. Actually, I read recently that more prints of Van Gogh paintings are sold around the world than any other artist. So when you do walk around beautiful Isle, every souvenir shop um, is just milking the artist's legacy Uh, pretty shamelessly. And the old hospital gift store, I spotted what I think could be the techiest of souvenirs I've ever seen. (laughs) You can actually buy a self-titled ear razor. And apparently (laughs) it's a bumper seller with American tourists. I'm not surprised. You you didn't buy one? (laughs) No, I didn't. I resisted. Good for you. (laughs) We've got you a chance. uh, Well, in fact, we've been giving you the chance to win with the Lonely Planet, the world's number one travel guidebook brand. And we've got two more winners to announce, Mike. Yes, Bob Hanrahan and Wei Zuwei. Congratulations to you, Bob and Wei. We will be in touch. Yeah, congratulations to you and the Lonely Planet guidebook will be coming your way very, very soon. And don't forget, you'll be in to win as well. If you like our Facebook page or rate our podcast on iTunes, we'll put you in the drawer for some Lonely Planet guidebooks. Let's head to the streets of San Diego in Southern California. The waterfront's getting a huge makeover, Mike. Yes, it's been a few years since I was last in San Diego, and uh, I went there uh, midway through last year, 2019. The transformation of the waterfront district has been heroic. It's like the new and shiny part of town, and lots of statement architecture, all very pedestrian-centric. The promenades are a buzz with hoverboards and e-scooters, of course. Um, and of course, the starring attraction remains down at the waterfront, the USS Midway. Next door to the Midway is the Maritime Museum. And from a Kiwi perspective, what I found fascinating, there's a very potent piece of New Zealand immigration history at San Diego's Maritime Museum, the Star of India. Now, tens of thousands of our ancestors journeyed to New Zealand on the ship from the UK. And it's the oldest active iron sailing ship in the world. So if you've been doing, you know, your family genealogy and worked out that great auntie Floss came to (laughs) Auckland or Christchurch on the Star of India, that's where you'll find it. It's still in mint condition. 
What's tops at Balboa? The gilded lungs of the city, Chris. It's uh, groaning with 17 museums. And, you know, you could spend weeks at Balboa. Um, my picks would be the Timken Museum, if you want to uh, go and check out some old masters of art like Rubens and Rembrandt. I also adored the Alcazar Garden. And obviously, there's a big Spanish influence in uh, Southern California. The Alcazar Garden, you will feel as if you've been transformed Bought into Seville. It is just incredible. Uh, the San Diego Model Railroad Museum is very cool. Lots of scaled down replicas of California's railway lines, towns, big Californian landscapes in this museum. It's unbelievable the attention to detail. And opening this year, midway through this year, a brand new mecca for pop culture. Uh, with the Comic-Con Museum. Now, Comic-Con, wow. of course, is major. Yeah. And it was founded in San Diego nearly 50 years ago now. So it's very apt that, uh, yeah, all the characters of comics and film and TV will soon get their own shrine at uh, Balboa Park. Eats and drinks, where's the best place to go, Mike? Uh, I absolutely loved Cafe Coyote. It's in the Old Town, which was the first Spanish settlement in California, in Old Town, San Diego. And even though Old Town is a bit of a tourist trap, it is worth battling the crowds to get to Cafe Coyote. You've got old mamas there selling handmade tortillas outside the shop for a dollar. So just give them a dollar and they'll give you a tortilla. And inside uh, is just one of two restaurants in the USA that has certified tequila ambassadors. Now, the tequila equivalent, uh, or these tequila ambassadors are the equivalent of like a sommelier, you know, when it comes mm. to tequila. Um, San Diego sells more tequila than anywhere else in the world, and Cafe Coyote's tequila menu will offer up 100 different varieties. Um, and you can also order up there a Fajita Fiesta, uh, and wash it down with a frosty grande margarita. Sounds very nice. Now, beyond uh, the city centre, tell us about the Northern Jewel La Jolla. Yeah, San Diego is a wash and knockout beaches, beautiful beaches. But I think the Northern Seaside satellite town of La Jolla is pretty hard to beat. Mm. Uh, it's a village which is sort of perched up on a bluff, uh, lapped by the Pacific. And it feels absolutely Mediterranean. It's got really scenic views, lots of wildlife down on the coastline as well. Sea lions and pelicans on the uh, on the rocks and in the rock pools. And it's on what they call the Pacific Flyway, which is this big migration route uh, along um, uh, the west coast of the US. So you'll have lots of migrating birds laying over uh, in La Jolla. So it's a real jewel. And there's a very tasty bright bite to be had in La Jolla at a place called, and I love the name of this, the Promiscuous Fork. Uh, they do lamb lollipops. Lamb lollipops at the Promiscuous Fork. And these lollipops are Cajun-dusted lamb cutlets grilled and topped with balsamic reduction. They are oh, to die sounds, for. It sounds nice. Yes. Hey, did you manage to hit the travels through the likes of Torrey Pines? That's a beautiful looking area, Mike. It is stunning. I yeah. loved it. Uh, edging north from La Jolla, yeah, you've got Torrey Pines Reserve. It overlooks the coast and it's studded with these really unusual looking crooked pine trees. They kind of look a bit like large bonsai uh, and this is the only place on the American mainland where they naturally grow, hence the name, Torrey Pines Reserve. Uh the hiking trails along the cliffs um, are just superb. And uh, there's a famous golf course on these cliffs, 
which is where Tiger won the US Open. So if the name Torrey Pines sounds mm. familiar, it's probably because of Torrey Pines Golf Course, which is what was actually Julian Robertson's inspiration when he developed Coldy Cliffs Golf Course in New Zealand. Interesting you say that because it's the first thing that comes up is images of Tiger Woods. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us on Kiwi Tripsters. Be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe there. Also, the show notes at kiwitripsters.co.nz. Michael, we've yes, got a Nick. very special announcement. We do. We need a drum roll virtually because <laughs> coming soon... That was a really bad drum roll. Yeah, that sounded slightly odd. But anyway, we have the most amazing prize to give away very soon. What we, we do. We do. <laughs> do you know the details? Yes, I do for once. I know something. So yeah. we're giving away your chance to win a trip for two on the Great Ocean Road and Beyond Tour. This is a guided small group tour, which includes pre and post hotel accommodation in Melbourne and Adelaide, and wait, there is more. There is. Uh, we'll also uh, make sure you're covered with flights, return flights with Air New Zealand uh, to Melbourne uh, from Auckland, Wellington, and Christchurch, and back home from Adelaide. Uh, by the way, if you are listening to us from outside of New Zealand and you would like to enter this competition, you can, but you will only have um, your flight costs covered from New Zealand. So stay listening because uh, in the next episode or two, we will tell you how to enter the contest uh, and how you can be the winner. Exciting stuff. We'll catch you then and travel well. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. 